Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Welcome, everyone. We're thrilled to be here. And in the 17th International Magnificat Leaders Conference, 2023, in Pittsburgh, no less, Magnificat spirituality focuses not only on the visitation of Mary's visit to Elizabeth, but about the spousal relationship between the Blessed Mother and the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we're going to have an opportunity to enter in That's our theme tonight, to enter in closer into the presence of the Lord. And we are graced to have Father Dave Pavanka with us. He is a well-known Catholic speaker and author. He graduated from Franciscan University with his BA in theology in 1989, but then he was elected the president of Franciscan University in 2019. As Magnificat women, I think we know him well from the Wild Goose series. It's kind of one of our requirements for people if they've not been baptized in the Spirit and they want to get on a service team. He's also directed a lot of other documentaries on St. Francis of Assisi, a Metanoia video series on conversion. He's written several books and hosts a Franciscan University Presents on EWTN. He co-hosts a popular podcast, They That Hope. And I'd like to have us pray the Vene Creator Spiritus as one In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and in our souls take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. Great Paraclete, to thee we cry, O highest gift of God most high. O font of life, O fire of love, and sweet anointing from above. Thou dost appear in sevenfold dower, the sign of God's almighty power, the Father's promise making rich with saving truth our earthly speech. Kindle our senses from above and make our hearts o'erflower with love, with patience firm and virtue high, the weakness of our flesh supply. Far from us drive the foe, and grant us thy true peace instead. So shall we not with thee for guide turn from the path of life aside. O may thy grace on us bestow the Father and the Son to know and thee through endless timeless confessed of both the eternal Spirit blessed. All glory while the ages run be to the Father and the Son, who rose from death, the same to thee. O Holy Spirit, amen. Would you all extend your hands and we'll sing.
rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the Spirit was moving over the water, Spirit, come move over us. Come rest on us. invite everyone to just to take a breath and in your own heart your own mind just ask that Jesus would come and rest on you that your heart would be open that you would receive what he has for you tonight amen amen so I think one of the struggles we have in the church today is, honestly, I think we get exactly what we expect. The problem is, is we, if we're honest, we don't expect much as a church, as a people, as a parish, as a community. I remember uh, my sister, my long story, but my older brother and my sister-in-law, they got married. They weren't, didn't get married in the church. Long story, they eventually came into the church and got an annulment and baptized all their kids. And so it was my brother's birthday and my sister-in-law, she was brand new Catholic, so she didn't know how to pray like we know how to pray. Amen? <laughs> she didn't know what she was doing. So it was actually the Jubilee. She didn't. And um, I said it was the Jubilee, so it was 2020, excuse me, 2000. And I said, you know, in this year of Jubilee, we're having mass together. In this year of Jubilee, ask God for anything. Just left it at that. So I get an email from her maybe, maybe two months later. And she says, you know, Dave, you said in this year of Jubilee to ask God for anything. And I said, Lord, do something to change my world. Now, we know better. We don't pray like that, right? Because <laughs> he'll do that, right? Exactly. So she said, so that was my prayer, do something to change my world. Uh, she was 44 at the time. But she said, Dave, I'm pregnant. She goes, uh, at that time, they had three kids. One was six, 16, 14, and 12. So they had three kids. And she goes, 
I'm too old to be pregnant. Apparently you're not, but uh, <laughs> I'm too tired. We don't have enough money. And she goes, but I know this is God answering my prayer. Not at all what she expected, right? right? So about six weeks after that, I get another email from her husband, my brother, Jim. It was three words, Dave, twins, Jim. <laughs> so interestingly, yeah. So interestingly, actually, on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, they had identical twin boys. So what do you expect from this weekend? Right? No, no, no. Why is everyone leaving? Where are you going, right? But here's, here's, here's the point of it. I mean, obviously, not at all what she expected, but exactly what the Lord desired, right? And I just think... I think we don't see the Lord do great things because we don't expect him to do great things. We just don't. I mean, I, I think he gives us what we expect. But if we would allow him in the spirit to actually open up our world, I, I think we would see him do amazing, remarkable things. And I think at the heart of that, center to that is the Holy Spirit. So, knock, knock. The Holy Spirit... That's the problem, okay? <laughs> this is the very problem, is, is that we literally have the spirit of Jesus that is knocking on the door of our heart, on the door of our life, and we don't even know that it's there. I love one of the things that Holy Father Pope Francis has said, is he said, the greatest gift of God is the spirit himself, right? It's not like God just goes up and, and there's a, a whole cabinet of gifts, and, he, and he, yes, we receive charisms, yes, we receive gifts, but he says the greatest gift is, is God himself, that he gives himself to us, obviously, in the Eucharist, that God gives himself in the Eucharist, but he gives us himself in the spirit as well. That spirit that comes and transforms and, and changes and renews. But my experience was when I was traveling a great deal was I would look out in the congregations and it just seemed to me like there was something missing. I mean, we're people who are, who are baptized and they're confirmed and they're receiving the Eucharist, but it doesn't seem like there's a dynamic life in them, right? So there seemed to be something missing, and, and my father is a physician. He said that if he knew what was wrong with somebody and he didn't prescribe that, he would be sued for malpractice. Well, brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit. And, and that's really why, it's why I wrote the book, The Breath of God. It's why I did The Wild Goose, was I just was profoundly convinced that what the church needed was the Holy Spirit. One of the images that I really like, who's been snorkeling before? Okay, we don't do a lot of snorkeling in the Ha River. Uh, that probably doesn't surprise you. But I love it. I really love it. It's just, it's, it's aquarium. She says it in an aquarium. That's not what I had in mind. Trinidad. We're going to Trinidad next time. Yeah. The bishop's okay to travel there, huh? But it's, it's really beautiful if you've never snorkeled before. First off, it, the water's always beautiful, the Caribbean, wherever. It's just the water's beautiful, the trees, the sand, it's just gorgeous. But there's something that happens when you put on a mask and you put your face in the water. You see things that have been there all along, but you didn't know they were there. I mean, the beauty of the fish and the colors and, and the plant life. and all of, It's this world that's gorgeous, that's been there all along. We just weren't aware of it. The image that I think the Holy Spirit wants to be able to do is, is that there is a world that is supernatural. There's a world of power, in a world of grace, in a world of freedom, in a world of mercy. 
And it's the Holy Spirit that opens that up. It's there. We just need to be able to access it, to be able to encounter it. So that's a little bit about what I want to do tonight. So here's how the evening's going to come. I'm going to talk for a few minutes. Uh, and then we are going to have adoration. And in the midst of adoration, we are going to spend some time just praying for the Holy Spirit. Amen? I appreciated uh, what Bishop said uh, about the beginning about fear and the sin and stuff. My suspicion is I read the same article you read, which is just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And one of my, what I'm experiencing when I'm traveling and, is that there's just a lot of anxiety right now. And, and just this, kind of this weight with everything going on. It's a dumpster fire in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's just a mess. <laughs> Sorry, it just is. And for the record, it, it's a dumpster fire no matter who's in the White House right now. Just, just putting that out there. Romans... 1513 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans five, verse five. It says, hope does not disappoint. Really? On occasion, I was uh, able to go to Bosnia right after the war in the mid-90s. We had the occasion to be able to go to a refugee center, myself and a couple of my students from Franciscan. I remember we walked into the refugee center. They had not had a priest that had visited them for over a year. A woman walks up and she, she grabs my cord and she kisses my cord and she says, I love this more than life itself. This was a people that were staying in an old bombed-out hospital. They had nothing. The local priest lived maybe two miles down the road, but he never visited them. He said they were the refuge, so he never visited them or had mass with them. And people would have usually like cabbage soup for a meal in the evenings. It was just, it was, yeah, it was a dark, it was heavy, it was a burdened place, and so myself and a couple of students, we went into this gentleman, Slavko, and, and his wife, and it was so sweet. Again, these people who have nothing, and as soon as we walked in, the gentleman spoke in a very raspy voice, very soft, uh, and he was just excited to see us. And the first thing he said to us through a translator was, you are our hope. And that was very humbling, right, to, to hear this man. And, and I was really moved. Well, the first thing he did was he pulled out a beer that he had been storing in case anybody ever visited <laughs> Right? This is a man after my own heart, right? He knows, he knows that. And they had this little, these little thing of cookies that, yeah, that he had saved in case somebody came and visited and broke them out and shared them with us. They spoke about the Lord's love for them. This was a gentleman, and, and I would hear his story, he'd share his story, that he and his wife uh, and his children lived in this village. Uh, the soldiers came in. His daughter and his son ran out of the back of the house. He's not seen them since. He assumes that they were killed. They attack him, and they beat him. They bound his hands and his feet with barbed wire, and they slit his throat, which is why he couldn't speak very well. And he began to spend the next 30 minutes telling me about how good God is. I get stuck at a red light, and I get frustrated. It's like, and I just found myself just praying and thinking about his line, you are our hope. 
So we were able to celebrate liturgy together, which was so beautiful. And, and I was just sharing in the homily. I said that you had said that you, we were your hope. And I said, but actually, you're, you're our hope. In the midst of, of just a world that's a disaster, you still speak of God's love and his faithfulness and his kindness. I said, no, you're our hope. And a little voice from the back with a little old lady with a babushka. And she says, no, Father, God's our hope. God's our hope. Paul says in Romans, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and the peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That this hope isn't just, I think sometimes I'm actually trying to be really cautious on how I use the word hope. Like I try not to say, I hope you can make it. I I want you to make it. I'm glad you made your flight, but it wasn't my hope. Our hope is in God. And it has to be in God. And that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. And and I love how Paul says that the joy, the power of believing, the hope, all of that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we need that more than ever because everything seems to be so frustrating and anxiety-ridden. And we just, we need God that just brings this peace and this presence that gives us hope. And a danger is that we put our hope in all kinds of things. So, so I say, my hope is not in whoever's in the White House. My hope is not in the Supreme Court. I mean, that's what I pray for, but it's not my hope. And I think a challenge for us is is oftentimes, if we're honest, we place our hope in all kinds of things that we ought not place our hope. And what that causes and what it leads to is frustration. As Bishop said, it leads to fear. It leads to anxiety. I mean, um, I I just loved what he said. And and actually, it's kind of crazy because some places it's difficult to speak positive about the Pope. And people challenge you. It's like, how can you say that? Because he's our Pope, right? Because he's our Pope. And we can have questions and we can have, but he's our Pope, right? But one of the things I think the evil one is doing is he's causing and he's stirring us to be afraid and to be anxious. And whenever I, I, he's the Pope, he's the vicar of Christ, and I pray for him and I love him. He is my father, but he's not, I don't place my hope in him, right? I don't place my hope in him. And a challenge that I think sometimes that we need to be able to wrestle with is, is are we experiencing that joy that Paul is talking about? Are we experiencing that peace? And if we're not, it's probably because we're placing our hope somewhere else, right? And if it's in anything but God, we're going to be disappointed. You know, again, Paul says, hope does not disappoint. Well, why is it that we're disappointed? Because brothers and sisters, we place our hope somewhere other than him. I think my my mom's got MS. She was diagnosed when I was five years old. And I have prayed for 53 years. Do the math, right? And she still has MS. But that's not my hope. It's my prayer. But it's not my hope. I mean, if my hope was in that God would heal my mom, I'd be a really frustrated, angry priest, right? Or if my hope would be that the Lord would have healed one of our students who passed away last year, but he didn't. It's like, why do you... My hope is in him, in his faithfulness, in his kindness, in his mercy, in a God who keeps his promises. It can't be that God does what I want him to do. Lord, my hope is in you if you do whatever I ask you. We manipulate the Holy Spirit. Right? We want the Holy Spirit to just do whatever you want to do as long as it's what I want you to do. Right? <laughs> Don't we do that? Isn't everybody praying that the Holy Spirit leads the synod? 
and we'll know if it does actually what I want, right? <laughs> then we'll know. Do me a favor, take a breath. Where's your hope? Again, hope does not disappoint. Just in your mind and your heart. May the God of hope fill you with joy and his peace so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, come with your Holy Spirit, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Well, why can't we hope? Why is it such a challenge? Why is it so difficult? And I think it's one of the things is, is the evil one wants to deceive some, I think, who, who could say what the greatest lie of the evil one is? But I think one of the greatest lies of the evil one is that he tells us that life isn't supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be so hard. Marriage isn't supposed to be so hard. Work isn't supposed to be so hard. Spiritual life isn't supposed to be. Because if we begin to believe that, when something doesn't go the way that we think it should, well, then somebody's to blame for this. Something went wrong, right? I mean, I think Jesus should have had a better marketing firm. I just do. Because he begins with, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross. I mean, but why is it that we get surprised? Or why is it that when things don't go the way or when we have difficulty and struggles and, and all of that, why is it that, that we're... Because the evil one causes this. It's not supposed to be so hard. I've had, over the years, a number of people say, I can't imagine Jesus would ask something so difficult of me. Really? Where do you get that? Right? I mean, how do we look at this and say, gee, I can't believe you would ask that of me. But one of the things that the Holy Father is saying that, that I think is profoundly beautiful and right, everybody is welcome. Absolutely. Everybody is welcome. And it's going to cost you everything. Everybody, it's going to cost you everything. Not just those people, but me. I'm welcome. And it's going to cost me everything. But the evil one says it shouldn't be so hard. I love in the end of the third chapter, of Luke. It says, after all the people were baptized and Jesus had been baptized and was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the body of the form like a dove or a goose, depending what you read. <laughs> and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. And the very next thing we find in the very beginning of the fourth chapter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days. And he was tempted there. This idea that the Spirit would lead Jesus to the desert, would lead him to that place of suffering, would lead him to that place where... The, the desert for the Jew was, first off, it was dangerous, literally, but it was, it was the place where all the mistakes were made, right? The good things happen on the mountain, bad things happen on the desert. So the desert was this place of isolation, it was a place of desolation, it was a place of defeat, it was the place where the enemy lived, but the Spirit leads Jesus into that. I mean, the reality is, as much as we like to try to get away from it, the desert's a part of all of our life, the difficulty, the struggle, the cross, the, it's just a part of it. I love to take a look at, at numbers, and, and it's the, the beautiful story. I actually talk about it in The Wild Goose. The, the Spirit, when, when the, the Lord leads them out of captivity and leads them out of slavery, and, and they're, I mean, this is a beautiful image that he leads them through the parted Red Sea, and finally the people are free, and 
they're hungry, so God miraculously feeds them. I mean, every morning they're waking up and they take manna and they mix it with a little bit of water and they, they cook it. And they get oil. They cook it. They have donuts every morning, right? They literally get Krispy Kreme donuts every morning. And then what do they say? We're tired of this wretched food. If I was God, I would have smited them too, right? And we all know the story, right? The, the serpent, they create the serpent that comes and they get bit. And then they go before the Lord and they say, we're sorry, right? And the Lord does a really amazing thing. He says, okay, here's how this is going to go down. If they get bit, then they need to look at the serpent and they put the serpent on the pole. I always find that interesting that the Lord didn't say they're not going to get bit anymore. They're not going to be freed from suffering. They're not going to get freed from that. But he said, if they get bit and they look at this, it seems to me counterintuitive that what the Lord is asking them to do is to look at their suffering in the desert, to look at that place that, that we try to do everything to get rid of and, and not to think about. The thing that we just kind of compartmentalize and, and it's still there, but the only way ultimately that we can be healed is by being willing to go into the desert and let the Spirit lead us to the desert. And I think it's one of the reasons... We're not, we're, not, we're not a people of hope because we haven't experienced being brought out of captivity of the desert. And, and we haven't experienced that, that going into the heart of the desert, that place that, that we'd rather not be. And, and sometimes we go there because the Spirit leads us, and sometimes we go there because it just seems like everything's falling apart. But the reality is that God is present in the midst of that, and the invitation of the Spirit, the invitation of grace, and the invitation of God is to allow Him to meet us in the middle of whatever the desert is for us. Whatever that difficulty, whatever that struggle, but the reality is that so oftentimes we just ignore it. We ignore the cross. We ignore the difficulty. We ignore the suffering. We just kind of, hopefully it goes away if I just don't pay attention to it. But, and this is the mystery of our faith is that we look at that. And when we look at that, Jesus says in the third chapter, right? Unless the son of man is lifted up, he's direct reference to that. Unless the son of man is lifted up. Love it, John's gospel. When, when do they recognize that Jesus, in John's gospel, that he's the Christ, that he's the Holy One? They, it's, it's on the cross. It's, it's not the resurrection. But I think we, again, the deception of the evil one is there's not supposed to be a desert. So if you're going through it, something's wrong. It's not supposed to be so difficult. So if you're going through it, I mean, how, how do we live in, in hope if we believe in a God that's actually punishing us because of difficulty? And that's what the evil one wants to do, is to cause us to think this is some kind of punishment. Retreat in Detroit a number of years ago, and this woman says, can I talk to you for a second? And she said, she began to teach, she was my age, mid-50s, and she said, I did something when I was 18 years old. And she said, I think about it every day. I said, it's time for you to look at that and see that and let the Lord heal you. And it, was, it was like looking at from an outside. And, and what the Lord was inviting was to be present in the middle of it. Because something changes when we begin to find the Lord in that. When I was in seminary, I worked at Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C. And that summer, I worked in the neonatal intensive care. And I think there was about 21 babies that uh, I baptized that summer. And they all died. It was the only reason they, they called me, all right? I was at seminary. And the only reason they called was because it was almost this giving up, accepting, depending on who it was. A mother who's holding her little baby who's just passed. And 
she looks at me and she says, why is God doing this? And I'm a seminarian. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, what am I going to say that's going to make sense? Well, let me explain to you this. This is why this is happening. It's like, oh, thank you so much, right? And I can joke, but it was this profound crisis for me. It was about a year and a half, maybe two years from being ordained. And I didn't know what to say to this person. The gentleman who says, I didn't imagine that the best day of my life and the worst day of my life would be the same day, right? Well, what do you say to that? And I, like, it was this crisis of faith for me. And I thought I would have all the answers. I didn't realize that all the answers don't come until you're ordained. <laughs> ordained a bishop. <laughs> no, no, you still know, still know. I would pray and I didn't get any answers. I figured if I talked to the right person or read the right book, I'd have all the answers. I'd be able to figure out, so what do I say to this person? I remember I wrote in my journal, I said, God, you seem like a stranger I once knew. As a third-year seminarian, this was really difficult. I would go to the Eucharist, and it just seemed foreign. And I'd go to pray, and it was just dark. And The image that I used was like this fog, right? This fog that had just settled, and I just, I just couldn't see anything. God wasn't speaking. I remember it was a Thursday evening. I was in a small friary in Washington, D.C., in the text, of the, it was Thursday evening, I think week two, and the text said, um, you hid your face from me. It was from the Psalms. You hid your face from me, and I was put to confusion. And I just sat with that, and I prayed with that. It, the rest of the friars had gone down to dinner, and it just, there was something that, that particularly, it just struck me. You hid your face from me, and I was put to confusion. It was just kind of pouring out my heart to the Lord, and I said, oh, Lord, where are you? And just... And in a moment of grace, he just, he broke in for a moment and, and he said to me, Dave, I love you. Which I was like, well, okay, I appreciate that. I mean, I do. <laughs> it's nice. But that's not the issue. So let me explain to you what's going on here, Lord. Like, seriously, what do I do with these people? What am I supposed to do? I'm about to be ordained. What? I mean, and, and he's patient with me and he just, and he just says, Dave, I love you. And he began to weep. Because in the midst of everything, I forgot that. I said, Lord, if you would just lift this fog so that I could see you again. And I heard the Lord speak to my heart. He said, Dave, don't you know that I'm in the middle of that fog? To which I had to say, no. (laughs) No, I thought how this works is you lift this. I can see. But doesn't that change everything? But I love the fact that Jesus wrestled the night before he went to the cross. I love the fact that he's there and he's saying, if there's any other way, it makes me feel that maybe there's hope for me. But if there's any other way, but there wasn't. This can only happen by the Spirit, but that's the grace that don't you know that I'm in the fog? One of the things I love about, I love lots of things about being Catholic, but when we look at our cross, we see Jesus, right? That it's not like he's going to invite us to this cross and abandon us and say, I hope this works out for you. But he's there. And if we can find him there, if we can find him there, it changes everything. I mean, it really does. That It's easy. I, I just had the opportunity. My mom and I went to Yosemite. I don't know if you've ever been to Yosemite, but it is gorgeous. It's just beautiful. And and mom and I, we, we just kind of sat on this bench and, and overlooked the Yosemite Valley with El Capitan and the waterfall. And there was just this grace, just mom and I. And, 
It's easy to find it there. Where I had the opportunity when I was home last year to baptize my niece. That's a piece of cake. Water, oil, grease them up. I mean, you can find God there, right? (laughs) But something changes when we find him in cancer, in divorce, in infertility. There's something profoundly different about finding God in the midst of this, that, that we're not, it's not this false piety, but we can really discover and find Jesus in the cross, that he invites us there. And we find him and discover. Because it changes everything. I mean, how is it that we can have hope? Well, we can have hope because hope does not disappoint because. Everybody at that point should lean in. Right? Well, that's interesting. Why should it? Why does hope not? Because. Because the love of God has been poured forth into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. The love of God is most perfectly revealed there. Again, in Romans, it says that while we were still sinners, God proves his love for us. And it seems to me that I ought to be the one who's trying to prove my love for God rather than him proving his love for me. But it's not the case. That while we're still sinners, he proves his love and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured forth into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. In one of the first books I did on freedom, I write the whole book. I just think freedom is just a beautiful theme, and we see it all through the scriptures, but it culminates at the very end of it, and I speak of God's love. And one of my students at the university, she comes into my office somewhat frustrated. And she goes, that's it? And I said, what do you mean that's it? And she goes, that's it? God loves us? That's all I got. That's, that's all I got. Sorry about that. I could pull a rabbit out of my hat if you'd like that, right? I love what Father Contal Mesa, the papal preacher, says, that if we were to to narrow down all of the scripture into three words, it would be God is love. And if we're honest, and we can say that we truly find God in the midst of our deserts, and that we truly find God's love in the midst of the cross, it changes everything. We stop trying to get away from that. We stop trying to run away from it. We stop trying to ignore it. But we recognize that God is present in the midst of this, whatever this is. The world is either graced or it isn't. He's either present or he, I love the scripture, I mean, very Emmanuel. What does it mean? God is with us. He is with us. The kingdom of God is at hand. He does love us. But again, the same thing. I'm afraid that we, we've all heard that, right? We, we know that. I joke that 90% of what I do as a priest is tell people things they already know. I had an occasion visiting home one time, and I was with my, my niece, and at the time, most of my family's out west. She'd only seen pictures of me, Uncle Dave, but she didn't really know me. And so, like, she would go, and she would run to my other nieces and nephews, and she would give them a hug. And, and I would be like, come on, Chris. And she's like, nah, I don't think so. So I said, seriously, once you get to know me, you're going to like me a lot more than them. You really will, right? So I would bribe her with candy and ice cream and all these kinds of things that you would do. So this one particular time, I was putting her in her car seat. For the record, car seats were not made for celibate men, all right? <laughs> they are so complicated. And I had put it in, and I put it in wrong. I put it, I had taken the seat belt, and I put it 
instead of the car seat, I put it around her. So that it was going to smash her if it needed. So I had to undo it. So I'm, I'm reaching across and I'm undoing the seatbelt and our faces are about this far from each other. And she looks at me and she says, I love you, Uncle Dave. Right. right. And I only tell that story for that reaction. Because I've told millions of people that God loves them and never get that reaction. Because, I don't know. It's just like, oh yeah, okay, I've heard that. But if we really know, if we really know, hope does not disappoint. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what's going on in Rome. It doesn't matter what's going on in Washington, D.C. I mean, on one level, you understand me, but God is still God. He still loves me. He's still for me. He's on my side. He'll forgive me again. I mean, that's why hope doesn't persist. But there's something because I think we, we've just heard it so many times that, I don't know, we, we've just grown accustomed. Imagine, imagine hearing it for the first time. I mentioned that I had the opportunity to go to, to China a number of times. And this one woman I met, she was an only child. She was raised, in, as most people were, in an atheistic world. And she, her, her family, her government, her school, nobody told her about a God or believed in God. And she, she says as a young girl, she was at, what is the purpose of life? I mean, what's it all about? She was, she was sharing a story when she was a junior in high school. She wrote a paper about what is the purpose and meaning of life. And when I was a junior in high school, I was wondering who's going to throw the football for Notre Dame. That's what I was concerned about, right? And she was wondering about the purpose and meaning of life. She goes to college and she begins to study art, thinking something about art, there's a beauty and it might move something in her. And she tells a beautiful story. She was looking at a piece of art. Uh, she said, art, and she heard in the back of her mind, art cannot give purpose, art cannot give meaning, and art cannot feed the poor. She's like, where did that come from? So at this time, she had moved to a city and she was walking by and she'd never been in a Catholic church, but there's a Catholic church in this city. And she said she felt pulled to come into the church. She walked in and she saw on the side of the wall and huge characters that said, God is love. She looked at that probably different than you or I. The first thing she looked at was the word God. I mean, she'd been told her whole life there was no God. And she just in that moment began like, is this possible? Is it possible that, that everything I've been told my whole life isn't true? That, that there is, in fact, maybe there's a God. And then, if there is a God, is it possible that he is love? Because if that's true, that's what I'm looking for. That's what's going to give my life purpose. That's what's going to give my life meaning. She makes an appointment with the priest and is baptized Christian in the following Easter. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured forth into our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's because of that we can go through life's trials and tribulations and not be disappointed. It's because of that that it changes everything. And, and, and we stop asking the question to God, why so much? We begin to ask the question, what? Not why did you do this, but what are you doing here? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to know? What do you want to transform? What do you want to heal? What do you want to restore in the midst of this? Let's pray. Take a breath.
One of the quotes that I really appreciate from Pope Francis is he says the, the definition of baptism in the Holy Spirit that Pope Francis uses. He said that it's an encounter with the love of God that changes us. And the important part of that is that changes us. There were people that encountered Jesus that it didn't change them. The rich young man, Jesus looks on him with love. And he walks away. Come, Lord Jesus. Come with your Holy Spirit. with joy, with peace. But the scripture says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured forth into our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. At this time, the music ministry is just going to Lead us in a song of meditation, of prayer, and I'm going to go invest and I'm going to bring in the Blessed Sacrament. And we're going to spend some time praying in front of him who loves us. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. And that you've called us here to be present with you tonight. We're going to spend just a, a few minutes just worshiping the Lord in, in song and in prayer and praise and worship. I invite you to go ahead and stand or sit or kneel, whatever allows you to pray best. I know that in a situation like this, it's hard to kneel. So feel free to sit down or to stand up, whatever works best for you. So I invite you as we begin this time of prayer, just to repeat after me, Lord Jesus, come with your Holy Spirit. 
Jesus. Hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Because your love has been poured forth into my heart. Because your love has been poured forth into my heart. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. I love in Luke's gospel when Jesus is going through a village and there's an individual there who's a leper. Nobody would ever have contact with a leper. And Jesus sees him and he says, do you believe I make you well? Do you believe I can heal you? And I love what Jesus does. He reaches out and he touches him. Just a really simple insight into Jesus. Jesus could have just said, you're healed. Does that in other places. But this person, he touches him. Nobody touches a leper. And I just wonder what she must have felt when Jesus reached out and touched her, touched her cheek. At this time, I'm going to process through the congregation with the Blessed Sacrament. The music ministry is going to continue to lead and just let Jesus be close to you. Reach out to him. Reach, he reaches out to you. Lay before him whatever binds you. Jesus, in your name, I break the power of the enemy over my brothers and sisters here. In your name, I break the power of deception. In your name and as your priest, I break the power of discouragement. In your name and as your priest, I break the power of anxiety. Jesus is a priest, I break the power of fear. As I was walking through the auditorium and just praying for you and there are just a few here that you just believe that you're fundamentally flawed that you've never quite been right you'll never quite be right could be numerous reasons on, on why that that lies there but It's always, you're not quite good enough. You're not quite a good enough wife. You're not quite a good enough mother. You're not quite a good enough daughter. Whatever you do is not quite. And there's just this feeling that you're flawed, fundamentally flawed. And Jesus wants to be able to speak into that. To let you know that he sees you. that he delights when he looks at you, that he, he doesn't look away. He's, yeah, I mean, almost you feel like you're repulsive and, and how is it that he could look at you? And, but I just want to challenge you right now just to let him look at you, to look at the depths of you, 
that part that you're afraid to let anyone see. Jesus, come with your healing there. Let her know that she is good, that you delight in her. Jesus, silence the, the voices in her head. Come, Jesus. This is strange, but there's, there's some here that the dinner table, the, the kitchen table is, it's just a place of pain. Jesus wants you to be able to see this altar. This table, sacred table. Lord Jesus, bring healing for whatever took place in that room. Jesus, come with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, come with your Holy Spirit on those who are t tired and weary tonight. Just weary of the journey, tired of the struggle. Jesus, be present to them tonight. And just as I said that, I have this image that's kind of reminiscent of that scene from the mission, but several of you, you're, you're just pulling up this huge bag. It looks like a sack that Santa delivers toys in, and you're just pulling it up this hill. And you're not even positive why. So just take a moment and and the burdens that you're carrying to say, Jesus, I give you this. Those of you who are, have great concern about your kids or your grandkids, Jesus, I just give you them. You love them more than I do. So those burdens that you carry, the weight of work, expectation, those who are burdened with regret, I wished I wouldn't have. Or I wished I would have. Place that before him. Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Before we close with benediction, I just want to take a few minutes and just be still before the Lord. So I'm just going to actually invite everybody to go ahead and sit down. Just take a seat and just really simply open your hands on your lap. Take a deep breath. One of the things the Holy Father said at the beginning of his pontificate that was really beautiful was that there's this exchange that takes place that we breathe out and God breathes in us. We hear that in the end of John's Gospel, that he, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. There is within you a soul. That's what makes you human, that you are flesh and you are spirit. And there will never be a day that your soul is not. And you are now, by the grace of God, eternal. Just invite you for a moment to to pray from there, to pray not from your intellect or from your mind. Don't just think about Jesus, but just be present to him from the depths of who you are. Sometimes we, we experience this union or this communion with the Lord that he who is eternal and we who are eternal in our soul. 
We just know that he's there. We know that he sees us. He's present to us. He delights in us. Come, Lord Jesus, breathe on us. Oftentimes when we try to be quiet, we just, for a moment or two, and then we just begin to think about a bunch of things. So again, as things go through your mind, just say, Jesus, I give you this. Jesus, I give you that. And every now and then you can just surrender everything and you can just be quiet. Be at peace. And the last thing before we have a benediction, maybe just give you an opportunity just to speak to the Lord with a really simple prompt. Lord, I've always wanted to tell you. And just talk with him for a moment or two. Lord, I've always wanted to tell you. Lord, I've needed to tell you. Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the gift that is Eucharist. We thank you for a meal together and fellowship. We thank you that hope does not disappoint. We thank you that the love of God has been poured forth into our heart. That love that changes us, the love that heals us, the love that restores, that transforms freeze. Jesus, in your name, I claim all that you're doing in the hearts of those gathered tonight, that it would bear great fruit. And let this be the beginning of a couple days filled with your rich mercy and love, by the power of your love and the power of your Holy Spirit. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.